from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Oh boy. Juice is flowing. Screw these people! Get them off the screen! They are lunatics. Well, the Canadians fans are going crazy. It looks like there's uh, several thousand out in front of uh, Bell Center. It's a big holiday today in Quebec, so I'm sure people are already freaking toked up, lubed up. Uh, regardless of game day, they are ready to go. They're ready to close this thing out. Again, like I said, the whole show and yesterday, I can't believe we're here. Uh, Vegas was a minus 450, 500 favorite coming into the series and after game one they were minus 1100 we're all like yes canadians on 56 points in the regular season they barely eked into the playoffs game one that wasn't impressive this is gonna be an ass kicking let's go vegas get out of this and sweep maybe five games and all of a sudden now they got backs against the wall robin leonard is being leaned on they're down three two and it doesn't look good like after the last game it doesn't feel real encouraging well, the game's coming up here in uh, less than 15 minutes. We advise you, if you're a uh, you know, massive hockey fan, you want to listen to the game, of course, we always uh, cross-promote. We love our guys over on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340. Uh, that's where all the hockey stuff will be tonight. We'll get to uh, some updates throughout the uh, first period here. Silver 7s is the spot. You know, on game days, they've got Bud Light bottles for 77 cents. So you come down, grab some beers. Watch the game. We're going to concentrate on some uh, hoopage this hour, some NFL as well. So let's do it. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. So we got a friend of the show who came down, nice enough to uh, join us, Marcus. Marcus Pfaff, who has worked for a, a while in Wisconsin. Now he's living here in town. He's still doing a lot of work for the score in Wisconsin and Big podcast guy, and actually his UNLV ties. We'll get into that when Curtis Terry's on a little later on. So what's going on, buddy? What's up, man? Thanks for having me down here. 77-cent Bud Light bottles? Uh-huh. That's, that's like uh, the best deal in town. Throwback. Throwback. Wow. Uh, get down here. We inked a deal with Silver 7s for the entire year, uh, and they have Cofield and Company down here every Thursday, and I demand it! Cheap beers. No, I, <laughs> they actually they came up with a promotion, but, I mean, it is – it's like, it's so my cup of tea. First of all, I love beer. Uh, secondly, I'm a cheap ass. So, <laughs> so if you give me a chance during happy hour to watch sports, bet games over at the William Hill Racing Sportsbook, and uh, go 77 cents on the bottle, I'm all in. Oh, dude, master negotiation right there. Uh, <laughs> kudos to you for getting that done. 77 cents for about, what, less than 10 bucks. I can be having a real good time down here and enjoying all the games, too. What do I got? Like seven? No, like 12 screens in front of me right now. I got baseball. Obviously, we got hockey coming up. I got soccer over here. Basketballs, they're getting set for things at the Staples Center. This is this is my kind of environment. This guy's done radio before. He's doing more promotion than I am. <laughs> Give me a number five again. Give me a number five again. Number five. All right, let's set it up. Um, I want to talk some Packers this hour, but uh, we had a, a, a good image, a good story coming out of the Bucks game last night. I don't want to bring up a sore subject. We'll get to the Bucks at the, uh, the biggest story of the Big Five. Bakhtiari is back. Uh, these are the yes, images we saw a couple of years ago with uh, 
Bakhtiari chugging beers, and then unfortunately we saw Aaron Rodgers chugging beers. It didn't go over too well. Uh, he's not <laughs> quite the beer chugger that Bakhtiari is. Tell us about David Bakhtiari and like what a fan favorite this dude is. Well, Rodgers is a is a Scotch aficionado. We've come to learn that over the years. It feels like he never missed an opportunity at a post game press conference to bring up the fact that he was going home to drink Scotch, and I'm sure it was good Scotch at that. None of this uh, <laughs> say it, it cost a, a dollar or two. The swill. Yeah, but David Bakhtiari has has become a fan favorite Steve over the last I don't know well, I guess you'd say five to six years at this point but I remember we did a show with him when I was working up in the, the Appleton Green Bay market for a while we did a show with David Bakhtiari on Monday nights and I think it's safe to say I'm not really throwing him under the bus when I say this it was a little rough around the edges early on coming out of Colorado as a <laughs> first and second year player I'm not sure he really knew what he was getting himself into coming to Green Bay like probably a lot of pro athletes that wind up playing for the Packers but uh, he quickly, or uh, soon thereafter anyway, found a way to endear himself by showcasing his beer-chugging ability, which I, I, I know we're all fond of here in, in Las Vegas as well, but in Wisconsin, I mean, that is the pastime, obviously, is, is, is beer-swilling, beer-drinking with regularity. It's just what, what we do up there, part of the culture. So a few years ago at the Bucks game, he was on the big screen. He took full advantage of that, pounded, I don't know, three or four out in a matter of what felt like 30 seconds, and then... He was back to his old ways last night, which was really the only good thing to come out of that game if you're a Milwaukee Bucks fan. Uh, anybody from Atlanta, probably feeling very good, obviously. Next up, Ari. Number four. So uh, Marcus was around UNLV, went to school there, worked at the school. You said uh, 2009 to 14, right? Yeah, yep. Time flies, I forget things. So he's back in town now. Um, the town's changed. I don't know if you yeah. know this, but we have we have an NFL team now, Marcus. I, I, I came to realize that because when I moved in, my place was right next to this monstrosity they call a practice facility down there. Isn't that crazy? That's wild, man. I mean, the, the fact that, well, let's say the Raiders went from the facilities that they had up yeah. there in Oakland to now what they have at their disposal between, obviously, uh, the Intermountain Healthcare facility and then uh, what you have at Allegiant. It's just night and day, and, and you see why they came. But this is exciting. I wish we would have had a chance to get in there and and see this show take place last year, like everybody. But hey. the the fact that we're going to have an opportunity to do that here in the next few months. Is... Oh, it's like the debut never really happened, so we blow it out this year. We have, With Major League Sports coming here, we have so many new characters to follow. And, frankly, Mark Davis was always a character. He's the owner of the Raiders. <laughs> I mean, the haircut, the, the, the kind of the old-school thriftiness, the regular guy nature – of Mark Davis, like, I don't know if people know, and really it wasn't supposed to be for public consumption, but he actually said it a couple of months ago. Mark Davis is, he's building like this, you know, palatial estate as an NFL owner would do. Mm -hmm. Well, while he was waiting on that, he was actually living up the road at Westgate. Oh, wow. Like for the longest time, he, he like, he was like, hey, it's kind of, you know, it's under the radar, not really supposed to be out there. But he said, the, you know, he mentioned it, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago or last month about it. So you like, he's, He's very much a, a regular guy. He's got a franchise worth over $3 billion. But one of the great stories about him is that he had, I think he still had like an 87 Dodge Caravan that he was driving around in. Uh, you know, he's got the haircut. He used to make the long trip for the haircut. Well, apparently he's now upgraded to a Mini Cooper, but he got into an accident yesterday. He got into a fender bender it, in the parking lot. Was he forced to upgrade to the Mini Cooper? Is that what you're saying? I mean... Th or, or, I mean, think about it. A 35-year, if, if it wasn't 87, I have to look it up. It might have been like a 93. Either way, <laughs> if it's a Dodge Caravan, like an original body-style Dodge Caravan, eventually that thing ain't going to last anymore. So my guess is he was forced to upgrade. He's got a Mini Cooper. 
He got into an accident at Town Square. Have you been to Town Square? I've been to Town Square okay. many times. Do you like the roundabouts? Do you like the? It's uh, it's a little dicey. They, it can be dicey. Uh, I would say there are certain people that I'm comfortable traveling through the roundabouts with, and certain people I'd rather not have behind the wheel if I am in fact a passenger in the okay. roundabout. Okay. Uh, Ari loves this story. First of all, Mark Davis is safe. It was a minor fender bender. Ari, do you like this story because you actually think you have a nicer car than Raiders owner Mark Davis? No, that wasn't it. I, I actually just thought it was funny that this is like the big news story that the, they couldn't get over it the was. Mini Cooper. <laughs> and no one did any research, by the way. It could have been like a friend's car. I don't know. That was his car. He was driving it. No, no, there was there was a picture of him driving away. Yeah, and uh, he I, was hanging out by himself. It also doesn't speak for what else is in his garage is what I'm getting at. Like that could just yeah. be his little crap car that he takes. Well, not crap. It's nice. I'm just saying that could be his little weekend car or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> well, for him, it might be. Uh, Adam right. Hill did break the news that most of the time the Raiders owner, Mark Davis, is around town. He actually is in the back of an Escalade being driven around. So that's oh, that, kind of more the norm for a uh, NFL owner. Yeah, I was wondering, what does that purchase process look like when you go in and you drop off your 87 caravan and say, I want to <laughs> trade this in. What can you give me for it? And then you're thinking, well, this is Mark Davis. He's clearly going to buy something high-end, something luxury. I'm in for a great sale here. Now let's go with the Mini Cooper. Give me uh, give me that. Not to say that it's a bad car. I know a lot of people would love to, to drive it around, but you're Mark freaking Davis, man. Uh, I may, I may, I looked up his uh, his caravan. I made it a little bit older than, than uh, it really was. It was a 97. Okay. It was well, a 90, 97 Dodge Caravan. It's still not young anymore. No, uh, no, no. As cars go. And at the time of the story in 2017, uh, he was also using a 2003 Nokia phone. <laughs> yeah, I think he's a value player. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, he spent all that time in Oakland around Billy Bean, and he was looking into right. the analytics of it all and saying, if I go with the 97, I could probably get X number of miles out of this. I'm sure he had it all broken down. There, uh, There is no owner technically of the Packers, so let's say Mark Murphy is the head guy. Yeah. Is, is Mark Murphy safe driving around town in like a, anything that is not heavily tinted? <laughs> Right now, I I don't know how people feel about Mark Murphy, to, to be 100% honest. It's a split, frankly, because of everything that's gone on with Aaron Rodgers here this past offseason. But, you know, for the most part, I think in Green Bay, people have learned to leave the uh, the, the big names alone, which is kind of a cool thing, I guess, if you do play there, knowing, hey, i got to be in this small town. I'm probably going to be mobbed all the time. Not necessarily the case because people have just gotten accustomed to that. With, uh, I mean, I saw, I saw a shot on Twitter the other day where it would, what, would, uh, OTAs going on. You had about five linemen in the back of a of a truck pickup truck bed, just rolling around town. Somebody filmed that in downtown Green Bay, which, as you can imagine, <laughs> is a massive place, and they they just go about their business. So, but as Mark Murphy goes, I imagine he's probably hearing more comments right now because of everything that's going on with number twelve. Number three. You don't call your star player who's uh, kind of holding out a peculiar guy. People will take that the wrong way. <laughs> uh, there seems to be a little bit of an arrogance about Mark Murphy and uh, maybe the way the Packers are handling this whole thing. Speaking of arrogance, it's one of the reasons I don't like the Warriors. Um, led by yeah. Draymond Green. You know he's a crap enemy. Yeah. Uh, Steph Curry can be arrogant. The owner, Joe Lacob, this was interesting. There are reports out there that LeBron has been recruiting Steph Curry. So mm -hmm. Curry's a free agent soon. So Lacob, when asked about Curry leaving, uh, he said he's done a lot for us. We've done a lot for him. He also said, you know, other guys who've left in the past, like Kevin Durant, I have a pretty good relationship with. But how about this one? I'm certainly not worried about the guy you mentioned, LeBron. I'm certainly not worried about the guy you mentioned recruiting him. 
I don't think that's going to happen. Oh, is that right? Is is that right? Is that language an attempt to counteract any tampering charges later? I I guess that that has to be what that is because otherwise, are are you kidding me? Like the preeminent player of our of this current generation, you're going to refer to him that way? Yeah, uh, I I'd I'd be concerned. I'd, I'd certainly have some doubts that he might be back in Golden State if he wants to go on and win here and. What is hard to believe is is the second half of his career now. It still feels to me like Steph Curry's 26 years of age, and it's just you know the, not the case for that Warriors team anymore, as as we know between him and Clay. And what two years ago, all we talked about is Clay Thompson's going to go home and play for the same team as his father, and it's going to be great. Yeah. And well, we know what happened to Clay, and that talk died down real quick. So if if they get him back healthy, though, is Golden State are they? Where are they in the West? I mean, where are they in terms of wins? Um, are they are they a fifty win team? It's hard to say right now. Maybe. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. Too. You just. I mean, that said, I'm people. I'm have... sure people are listening right now, going, "What do you mean? Maybe are they back in the West? The Suns are in the Western Conference Finals and look like they're freaking trucking to the finals. So I guess the way it looks right now, yes, a healthy Warriors team would certainly be in the running. But that's the Fair. key. That the key is the healthy part. Yeah, uh, Draymond Green is probably on the other side now in terms of being mm-hmm. healthy. Uh, Steph can get hurt, and is just because we saw this amazing return by Kevin Durant, like a healthy return, yeah, to the full monster that he is, doesn't mean that off of two major injuries, right, that Clay is going to be right. It's it's like the Adrian Peterson syndrome where people see, oh, this guy came back from the knee injury and he was perfectly fine. Clearly, anybody can do this. No, that's not the case. The guy's a freak of nature. So. Yeah, to your point, I don't know what Clay looks like when he comes back. The good thing is, is that he, I, I suppose, he makes his living from the outside as a shooter. But he's also had that explosiveness to go with that up until this point. Is that there? Is that gone? I don't know. And for the last two decades, we've become so accustomed to saying, "Well, the West is the preeminent uh, league," and, and and for the most part, that's always been a factual statement. But I don't know. Maybe maybe that's not the case anymore. Is like you just said, the Suns are now the favorite to represent the West here in the finals. And we don't know what the Lakers are going to do to retool. And, yeah, the Clippers, well, it's going to be weird. The Clippers season will be weird next year. If Kawhi really has a torn ACL, then he's not going to be ready to go until, you know, late next season. So yeah. the West could be pretty wild. And there's a, there's a lot of stuff. There could be me- mega deals that go down. But, yeah, back to the original question. The Warriors are going to be good. If they stay healthy, of course, they're going to be a player in this whole thing after what we saw Steph do because Steph is uh, hitting the fountain of youth, and he's going to be, uh, um, again, a monster himself at age 34. All right, top two stories. Number two. So our buddy uh, Marcus Pfaff is sitting in with us. You hear him every once in a while on Cofield & Company as our uh, Bucks and Packers and Wisconsin insider. He actually lives here now, but he's still doing some work with the score in Wisconsin. Big podcast guy. All right, my top two here both are going to be about the Bucks Hawk series. Do you want me to start with Trey Young, or do you want me to talk about the ills of the Bucks? Let, well, let's start. Let's start with Trey Young. All right, let's do it um, because this is going to bring out some some fire in me. All right, Trey Young's a fantastic player. <laughs> I didn't, player, I didn't even have to ask a question. Just we, yeah, Trey Young, go. Just, just go. I I know that he's a, a great young player. I know that he's destined to have a very good career in this league. But what the hell is Mike Budenholzer doing with this Bucks team right now, now defensively? And, and really, this is a larger you know, macro-level question, not just speaking to Trey Young, but you can go back to that entire Brooklyn series. The fact that they even got past the Nets is in some ways miraculous because of the way that they attempted to defend a team that had one of its three stars for the last three games. 
Mike Budenholzer right now, in my mind, and I think in a lot of Bucks fans' minds, is a terrific regular season coach and a guy who has a philosophy. He comes in, he implements that. It does a lot of good things for the organization. And for the Bucks, who were coming off of Jason Kidd, who was disastrous in his last couple of seasons with that franchise, he was a breath of fresh air. All right, and that was that was fantastic. Not to mention year one, you get to the Eastern Conference Finals, you go up two nothing in the Eastern Conference Finals before the wheels fell off against the Toronto Raptors. And that, I, I remember the day thinking they may very well live to regret this as their single greatest opportunity to win a championship with Giannis. Now at the time, the question was still looming: Is he going to re-sign with Milwaukee? Is he going to move on? Clearly, he is. He signed that supermax, so he's here for at least a few more years. You're going to have some chances there, but. It's been downhill ever since. It's like the word is out on what the Bucks are going to do. And when you get to the postseason, which is a different game, much the way baseball is a different game, when you get into a seven-game series, you're a lot more reliant on starting pitching, and you have to have more timely hitting than perhaps you do in the regular season where all you're doing is hitting long balls, uh, it feels like, in today's day and age. Uh, it's it's different, and, and he doesn't make adjustments, Steve. That is the most frustrating thing watching this. You, you can tune in for the halftime show on TNT. Charles Barkley's flat out telling you what you need to do to be better, and none of that is implemented when Mike Budenholzer trots back out for the second half. So I know I'm totally off on a tangent. We were talking about Trey Young and the greatness that he's bringing <laughs> to, uh, to Atlanta. Well, let's, let's play number one. Number one. So Trey Young specifically, last night he goes for uh, 48, almost has a triple-double. Yeah. I mean, we've kind of seen we've seen this thing play out, and yet defensively, Drew Holiday was no match at no. all. And uh, this is um, – the, the Bucks are still a favorite to win the series. They certainly can win the series. There were some positives that came out of the game. Giannis did play a good game. Giannis at center can be really dangerous on offense. But they're going to have to find a way to slow down Trey Young because he's becoming the star of the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's where, where you have to go. Giannis at the five and or, uh, if, if nothing else, you need to get Brooke Lopez off the floor at times. And that's not to say that he's not a valuable player. He doesn't do a, a lot of good things. He does. But the matchups will dictate what you do. Don't we hear that all the time in the NBA? And yet they stuck with him through the better part of three quarters. Meanwhile, Bobby Portis comes on in the first half and gives you like seven points in what felt like 90 seconds on the floor. And it was a little bit longer than that. And then we don't see him in the third quarter. Look, Trey Young's going to get his because he is that good. He is, he is quickly turning into a superstar, not just a star in this league. But you have to be able to at least get a hand in his face once in a while. And what they're doing with Brooke Lopez, essentially retreating from him after uh, he comes off of a screen and giving him that floater, he's going to hit it what, eight times out of ten? You can't do that. You have to, back to my complaints about Mike Budenholzer, you have to adjust. And they haven't done that thus far, so I'll be curious to see if in game two maybe something gets through uh, gets through to them and they're uh, a little bit better in that regard. Uh, scoreless game about 90 seconds in as the uh, Knights trying to stay alive in this series in Montreal. Uh, small crowd inside, rabid crowd outside. We'll keep you updated. If you want to hear the game, you can go over to Fox Sports Las Vegas at 1340 AM, 98.9 FM. On the way back, more NBA. We'll get to uh, a little more on the Bucks and Budenholzer and maybe if they just missed an opportunity, if uh, Coach Bud is going to be gone, which sucks. I'm not calling for a guy to be fired, but a good coach just came off the market, and then we'll have uh, more NBA breakdown from the expert along with Marcus Pfaff. Curtis Terry's going to check in in less than 10. 
It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. I love the way Chris Paul thinks the game. See, he has that Laker mentality, and I'm still mad at... uh, the NBA for not let that trade go through. The late days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he should have been a Laker a long time ago. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. Yeah, the basketball game goes at 6 o'clock tonight. Right now, the uh, Clippers are getting a point here at the William Hill Racing Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens. Scoreless game with our Vegas Golden Knights. About six minutes in in that one in uh, Montreal. Marcus Pfaff, nice enough to sit in in the 5 o'clock hour. Vegas guy, Wisconsin guy, living here, still doing work with the score in Wisconsin. That was magic on the way back. And uh, I live with a Lakers fan, and she's very touchy. Um, if I mention the Clippers, like when the Clippers came back and won the last series and finally made the Western Conference Finals like as an organization for oh, the first boy. time in 50 years. Yeah. Uh, I made a couple of quick mentions. I'm like, yep, L.A. won. L.A. won. And she was like, shut up. You don't ever do that. And that clip right there is one of the things that stings. Magic talking about. And Magic was very nice. I think Magic hesitated for a second because he didn't want to skewer David Stern. Uh-huh. So rest in peace. But. That is something that will live in infamy in the NBA. The Lakers are back. I don't know if they're going to win another championship with LeBron, but the dead period for the Lakers was in large part due to the fact that David Stern botched that whole freaking thing, stepped in like he was saving the Pelicans. The Lakers made more than a fair deal for Chris Paul to get him to L.A. Mm -hmm. They weren't screwing over New Orleans, and Stern stepped in. And then the worst part is he rewarded one of the biggest dirtbags in the history of sports ownership in Sterling and actually got the Clippers on the map. And, you know, I don't know what the Clippers are going to do in the series. And by by the way, it's weird to talk about CP3 and, you know, the re-energizing of the Clippers, and but now he's not with them, and now he's with Phoenix. It's it's bizarre. How long ago was that now? It's 2011, if I'm correct. I mean, that's it, time flies, I guess. But you're talking about, uh, yeah, the the Lakers franchise, as we know, one of the most historic. What what does that team look like over the course of the last 10 years? They may or may not have gotten LeBron James in in recent years. I I don't know. Clearly, nobody knows. But yeah, to have had Chris Paul, someone like that, to to come in would have changed the direction mightily because there were some years there where non-Laker fans were just soaking it in with how bad they were and how poorly it looked like that organization was being run from I mean, the outside. Sorry, I cut you off. And I, just, and I just punched the table. And again, I'm not a Lakers fan, but, you know, what's fair is fair. And by the way, 13-15 left, still scoreless, VGK in Montreal. Here was the deal, and it was December 8, 2011, that uh, David Stern vetoed the three-team deal. Uh, Chris Paul was going to the Lakers. That's it. Just Chris Paul. Yep. Hornets were getting Lamar Odom, Kevin Martin, Louis Scola, and Goran Dragic. That's not a fair return. Not a bad haul. And then the Rockets were getting Powell. 
That's not a bad haul at all, especially at that's, the time. That's a, that's a fair trade. You, you think about Goran. <laughs> How do you veto that? Well, and Dragic at the time was still sort of this up-and-comer. There was a lot of potential there. Huh? People didn't know what they were getting, but you, know, you have to think about it in the context of the time as well. That All right, we're getting a young, promising player. I mean, if you, if you, I mean just think about what the La- just the Lakers giving up Odom and Powell. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, when does that even ha- that Those deals don't even happen now. No. Everything now would be Chris Paul for... Freaking forty-two picks in a you know a bag of basketballs. Yep, yep. I know. That's... And he vetoed it. <laughs> and and Magic's very nice, but he you know is he you know I'm still mad at he should have said David Stern. Well, I I get it. David Stern did so much for the NBA over the the course wow. of his career, as we know. He brought it from tape delayed games in the '80s into what it has essentially become now, and handed it off to Adam Silver. But I, there's no denying that there was an arrogance. To that guy that uh <laughs> yeah yes. yeah yeah see i'm trying to be nice and walk the line like have, magic you don't too. have to you don't have to it's, you don't have to he, he didn't do everything perfectly put it that way uh coming back curtis terry the former runner rebel voice of the rebels on radio along with john sandler is going to join us and we'll go through a lot of the big stories around the nba including uh, probably putting that thorn in the side and digging it even deeper on marcus who uh follows the bucks wants to see the bucks do well we'll get kind of the breakdown of what the bucks are doing wrong against trey young Golden Knights games and 77-cent Bud Light bottles? Silver 7's Hotel and Casino has you hooked up. We all just believe. And when you have a group that really believes in each other and really is fighting on the court for each other, um, anything can happen. And I think our team really believes that, and, and it's, it's been working. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7's, it's Cofield and Company. Quiet, humble guy off the floor, on the floor, on the road. My God, Trey Young, what a giant pain in the ass. Uh, right now, scoreless, 10 minutes left in the first period. Golden Knights and Montreal in game number six. We've got Marcus Pfaff sitting in with us. Wisconsin guy, UNLV guy, Vegas guy again. He was at a UNLV student and uh, working at the school from 2009 to 2014. So he knows Vegas. He knows Vegas. He knows the NBA. He knows the Bucks. unfortunately, after last night's game. He's he's, uh, stinging a bit. Let's get into the NBA. Curtis Terry, voice of the Rebels on radio along with John Sandler. Curtis, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Steve and Marcus. Hope you guys are doing the same. Yeah, we're doing good, man. We've been entertained. uh, or you know, The NBA playoffs have been awesome. To this point, uh, let's go right into the Bucks and the Hawks, and just you know, kind of that hardcore breakdown of what you're seeing out of Trey Young and why the Bucks and so many other teams have not been able to figure out what to do with Trey Young on the pick and roll. Oh, you know, Trey Young. I mean, obviously, he's a he's a proven scorer in this league. He's shown that his shiftiness is, is going to create problems for for the other teams. I think one thing that's that stood out in the previous series against Philly is when they put Ben Simmons on him, it was a little tougher for him to get a shot off. Uh, that length that Ben Simmons had uh, deterred some of those shots, didn't allow him to get as many clean looks. Uh, but that was not the case in game one against the Bucks. And I think one thing that stood out to me was, was Chris Middleton's either got to be able to score and get buckets for the Bucks, or he's got to play some defense and try to guard Trey Young. I mean, what he did the other night in terms of going 6-23 um, and not playing much defense, that's going to be a recipe for the Bucks to get beat. Um, but I expect him to come back and, and play much better tomorrow night. Curtis, defensively speaking, you hit on it there. I mean, Trey Young's a proven scorer. He's a guy that I think most people feel like he's going to get his, but you want to limit that to a to a certain extent at least. If you're in that Bucks locker room, if you're Mike Budenholzer right now, what are you looking at possibly doing on the defensive end of the floor to at least slow him down a little bit or make it tough to make him work for good looks? 
I think the big thing that a lot of teams have pointed out with Trey Young, you've got to be physical with him. Obviously, in terms of stature, he's pretty slight. Uh, he, he does a good job of getting to the, to the basket um, and carrying his own weight. But I think if you can be physical with him, make him have to make plays going to the basket, going through contact, um, that's going to wear down on him over the course of the game, let alone a series. And I think that's going to be the key thing for the Bucks to do to make life hell for him on the court um, and force the rest of the guys on the Hawks team uh, even though they've had a great playoffs, force them to be the ones to beat you. But don't let Trey just just sit there and shimmy and shake like he did last night and, and, and hit open threes because that's what the kid's been doing since he was in high school. Um, and it's just continued to get easier and easier for him. Uh, but you, you've got to take away the open looks, and I think you've got to put a body on him, make him drive, and make him make plays off the bounce through other bodies. It, it feels like Jeru Holiday should have an advantage in that regard because he is – uh, a little bit bigger up top. I mean, what, what did you see from him in that, that first game, Curtis? Uh, because I, you would think that if he does have an advantage, it's the, the physical component there in trying to guard Trey. Yeah, for sure, 100%. I just, I just don't know if you, if you really want to put that pressure on Drew because you know he's going to have to be someone that's going to score for you. And in terms of making him have to defend Trey Young and chase him around the whole game as well as come back offensively and run the show for the Bucks. I think over time that will wear on him. He obviously played well last night in terms of scoring the ball, but I think if you can put that task to Chris Middleton, uh, that's going to be a little better suited for the team and allow Drew to facilitate, get guys open looks. Uh, but it's not a case to where like, you can put P.J. Tucker on him like you did with Kevin Durant because P.J. Tucker's just not going to have the quickness to be able to keep up with Trey Young off the bounce. Um, and I don't think you need to go to Giannis. Giannis is not going to be the one in terms of the size and the length to stop him. But I think if you go Chris Middleton, he's got a mix of the size and the quickness to be able to – combat what Trey Young is doing. But then again, Trey Young's just playing well right now. And the first thing you got to do is try to take away his confidence as, as best you can. You know, a couple answers ago, you mentioned Trey Young doing this back to high school. His ascension is still pretty amazing. And, you know, obviously you're, you're tight with the Krugers. You're, you know, you played for Lon. You talked to him. You certainly talked to Kevin. I wonder what those guys have said over the years, you know, since they had Trey Young at Oklahoma and then watching him in the NBA, if even they're like, my God, we like we thought we had a good one here and maybe we stole, you know, we got one under the radar, but this is ridiculous. Yeah, it's funny. So I talked to Kevin about it uh, last year, I'd say during the season, turning when Trey Young was starting to play really well. Um, and then he just kind of progressed. I'm like, he's that good, right? He's like, yeah, he's that good. Um, he's like, but we didn't even know he was going to be that good. Uh, and I think that's the biggest thing in terms of what he was doing on the court. Everybody knew he had range. He could create off the bounce. He was shooting deep. Um, kind of like the change of the game that Steph Curry kind of initiated with the NBA being more high scoring. Uh, but I don't even think they realized how good he could be ultimately. Because I think a lot of people thought with his size and his frame, he's not going to be able to take the pounding in terms of the NBA with much bigger physical guys. And I think that's the one thing that stands out, obviously, when, when me and Kevin had a conversation. But to me as well, he doesn't look like much when you, if you see him walking around. Once the ball starts to bounce and the game's going, uh, Trey Young's a handful, and he, he's definitely having a heck of a playoff run here so far. What do you think of the end of Game Two with the Clippers and the Suns? I don't know what the heck DeMarcus Cousins was thinking. I mean, that's the most boneheaded play defensively in terms of not protecting the basket on a baseline out of bounds. I mean, that goes to to, to common sense like middle school basketball. Um, I think they obviously it was poorly defended. Batum didn't know if he wanted to switch on to DeAndre Ayton. Um, he looked like he tried to give space um, so that way uh, Zubac could get through the screen, but Zubac didn't go under it, tried to fight through it. Um, a lot of miscommunication defensively. If anything, you want to force everything away from the basket so they have to catch and shoot as opposed to something to the rim. Um, but I think ultimately, I think if the Clippers, if they can play a little bit stronger inside, um, they're right there in the game. I mean, those first two games, even with Chris Paul coming back, what they've done in terms of being able to, to come back when it was campaign and Devin Booker, 
Uh, Paul George and Reggie Jackson have done a good job of scoring and leading this team from the guard position, but they've got to do a much better job inside because I think between Sarge and Aiton, I think they go combined last game, uh, I think it's 15 or 14 of, of 25, uh, 35 points and 16 rebounds. That's just too much in terms of inside. You've got to get more from Morris. You've got to get more from Zubac. But I think it's more so just defensively, they've got to put up a, a tougher fight and not make it so easy for those guys inside. What do you think of the abuse? Uh, you mentioned Ben Simmons and the fact that he actually, you know, could defend at times Trey Young. So he's got a lot of value as a player, but my God, Philadelphia is all over him. You got Stephen A. Smith screaming, he can never go back there. I know Philly. He can't go back there. He's done. Uh, the treatment of Ben Simmons, your thoughts? I mean, if it's if it's football, Ben Simmons is a great player because he only has to play one side of the ball. He can play defense. In, in terms of that, uh, he's obviously got the tools defensively. Offensively, they're non-existent. Uh, this is something I've been harping on for a while, and they talk about you can overlook his shooting. Well, it ultimately was, was the Achilles heel for him in the Philadelphia 76ers this year, for him not being able to make free throws. Um, ultimately, uh, passing up shots at the basket, I think, became a psychological thing for him. It's a struggle to where now it's, are you going to lose some trust within your teammates, within Embiid, in terms of Embiid carried them on one leg almost uh, throughout the playoffs to get to that point and just couldn't get any help. Uh, I think that they need to make a move. With him having four years, $147 million still on his contract, I think you try to flip him for some draft picks if you can to get up high in the lottery um, or a package. But I think they need someone that's ball-dominant in terms of a guard. If you can compare, if you pair a ball-dominant guard with Tobias Harris on the wing and Joel Embiid inside and the pieces they have surrounding and Doc Rivers at the helm, I think they've really got something there. I just don't see it working with, uh, with Ben Simmons and the Sixers moving forward. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Steve, you want to you want to jump in? Uh, I, I was just I banged the table. Sorry to distract you. Uh, Five fifty four left in the first. Montreal uh, just gets a goal from the uh, left side as Leonard just didn't see that one. So one nothing Canadians on top again. Robin Leonard in goal. Keep going, Marcus. Right, we're going to look back on Game Three with a great deal of disdain. But uh, talking about Ben Simmons continuing down that path, Curtis, should we have seen this coming? I. I and I say that not to pile on Ben Simmons. Lord knows people are doing that enough right now. But you look back to his days at LSU, I think there were still some questions about how good of a shooter he could be. Was he truly left-handed, which is a really awkward question to, to ask of any basketball player at that stage of their career. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I watched him play at times. I thought there was some apathy in his game. And maybe that's not fair either. Maybe that's just his overall demeanor. But... It felt like everyone at that time when Ben Simmons was ready to come out had proclaimed him the next big thing uh, from a talent perspective. And now here we are, what, five years later, and and obviously a lot of these things still haven't been remedied that were plaguing him earlier in his career. Yeah, and I think that's the big thing. I mean, obviously when he came into the league, he has the physical tools. He, he has the ability to, to play multiple spots, to guard multiple positions. Um, and he kind of wasn't proclaimed like the next big thing, kind of like when LeBron was coming in. A guy with that size and that skill set can change the game. But we saw what LeBron did. But when LeBron even came in, he's had his his shooting struggles, but he took the time to work on that. And I think that's one thing that's jumping out now that people are starting to float around out there is that Ben Simmons isn't the guy that's a worker. He's not going in the gym and working. Um, and the thing that stands out to me is it's, I think it's it's unacceptable to not improve your free throw shooting over the course of your NBA career when you're a guy that sat out a full season um, and, and had the ability to, to go up there and shoot free throws. Because free throws, as everybody knows, that's one thing that it just takes repetition and time, uh, and even more so than, than just shooting shooting threes. He doesn't need to be a great three-point shooter. If he's a consistent shooter from 15 to 17 feet and can knock down and be a threat within those free throws, everybody's going to be in a position where he can really control the game. If you throw it into him at pinch post and let him kind of post up 
and facilitate, it just puts that much more impact on teams with Embiid and himself. But when he's the he's the one guy that you, that facilitates everything as your point forward, but he can't make free throws, he becomes unplayable late in games and is not impactful. And then his defense isn't really that much of value because he becomes a liability on the offensive end, uh, which is a shame to say because it's typically the other way around for a lot of guys in the league. If he came to you now and said, help me get better at this free throw shooting thing, help me become a guy that you know, my teammates can lean on down the stretch, somebody who's not going to be afraid to have the ball in his hands, what would you tell him? What would you suggest to make him a better free throw shooter? Uh, the biggest thing, and I'm not, I'm not a, a shooting guru. There's people that think that they are. Um, ultimately, you've got to, you've got to stick with what works for you. But it, it's reps. You've got to get in there. You've got to shoot the ball over and over and over until you feel comfortable. And that's the biggest thing. And I think right now, at the end of the season, especially in the playoffs, for him, it became psychological. I think mentally, uh, he was defeated before it even happened. He was timid to even shoot, take those shots. And so now it's not about his mechanics and this and that because even Sean Marion, former Rebel, his mechanics stunk. His ugliest jump shot maybe in the history of the game, but he was able to knock it down because he practiced it. So you got to take with what you got and put it to work. Ben Simmons just has to get in the gym and make the commitment to become a better free throw shooter. Um, and if he wants to, he can, and then the, the game's going to open up for him even more so. But until he does, and it doesn't seem like he's going to yet because, like you said, it's, it's been five, six years going on like this, and, and there's been no improvement, maybe even more so. Is some, some some recession coming through from his, his offensive shooting ability? Did you ever have anything like that that you had to overcome the the mental side of it? Where I don't, some people call it the yips, but just something that whatever for whatever reason didn't sit well with you anymore, and you had to get over that hurdle. No, I don't know about that. I, I think the one thing that you and know, fans probably remember from my days, I was a guy that I would shoot any shots. It didn't matter where I was out of the court. Um, I would airball some shots too. People say they were bad shots, but it, it never deterred me. I think just for me, the confidence that I had because I knew I was putting in the work. If I miss a shot, that's okay. I'm going to step up there and shoot the next one. Uh, but I think that's the one thing in terms of offensively. You have to have the confidence to believe that you can make the shot before you take the shot. Because if you don't, then you won't take the shot. And then you start guess, second-guessing yourself, being hesitant. And like you saw with Ben Simmons, we'll even go up and dunk the ball from underneath the basket. Passes it off, and that was kind of the firestorm I mean, in terms of how that, that series ended for them. So, uh uh, I was known to shoot my fair share of air balls, but that didn't stop me from coming up and letting the next one fly. <laughs> Shooter's mentality, Curtis. Shooter's mentality. Uh, well, good news, in, yeah, good news in the right. hockey game, guys. Uh, Riley Smith right back with a goal, and now it's 1-1. Also a bonus as he was uh, finishing off the play. He was able to belt Carey Price right in the face. Not rooting for Carey Price to get hurt, but uh, he's been annoying in this one. All right, Curtis, let's close on this one. I don't know if you had a chance to get out to uh, check out any of uh, – UNLV basketball's uh, work uh, this last week or so. One, did you get out there? And then I, I saw, I only, you know, most of it was images being sent out in a couple of, like, slow-mo videos. But uh, in terms of athleticism, I saw at least one dunk, a, a still shot of a dunk where I think it was one of the managers was uh, was in on the play. And I was like, my God, they got some guys on this roster who can sky. Yeah, I've, I've had the opportunity uh, to, to be able to make it to a workout so far this summer. And the first thing I noticed walking in the gym, and they've got the size. Size, yeah. the length, the athleticism. Um, it's a complete flip of what they've had over the last couple of years. They've got guys that look the part, that look like some basketball players. Um, and I think the big thing that's going to be a surprise a lot of people is defensively what they're going to bring to the table. This may be a team that, that is a slow-starting offensive team in terms of guys trying to find their role um, and how they mesh together. I know one thing from the, from the first tip uh, in the Thomas and Mack when they start this 21-22 season, these guys are going to defend their butts off. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're one of the top defensive teams, um, not only in the West, but on the West Coast. 
Curtis, good job, man. We'll talk to you soon and uh, enjoy the week until we talk to you next Thursday. Thank you, guys. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Curtis. There he is, Curtis Terry, the former Rebel. All right, 1-1 one, one tie. you got four and a half minutes left in the first. That's massive because if, if that had gone on for a while where the uh, there was the uh, Knights were trailing and there was a drought, uh, all of a sudden, you know, then you start thinking. and Too much thinking in the last game. We know that. Too much thinking in the last game. All right, before we get out of here, we'll get you more updates on what's going on uh, in the game as the Golden Knights trying to stave off elimination and force a game seven. As we continue live here, 77 cent beers. Come down, watch the game. Bud Light beers, just 77 cents right here at Silver Sevens at Flamingo and Paradise. The Cofield and Company crew is back tonight at 9 o'clock. It's the Law and Sporter podcast with Justin Watkins from Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Cofield and Company presents. Grab bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Well, that was big. That was a good close to the first period. Listen, you want to have the lead, but uh, in any case, at least it's 1-1. Canadians get on the board first on a Shea Weber goal on a power play. Petrangelo went in for roughing. Leonard was uh, shielded, I thought, pretty badly, and I think it got deflected a little bit. But uh, Weber opens it up 1-0. Less than a minute later, and by the way, Petrangelo, I think, in the penalty box, busted the camera. I think there was a camera on the ground because you saw he just jammed the stick into it, and all of a sudden there was some – it looked like it was broken. Uh, Riley Smith from Theodore, from Carlson, misfits stepping up, and uh, 1-1, like I said, less than a minute later. So now we're at the break. 1-1 game, Montreal and the Golden Knights. Let's do a uh, giveaway before we get out of here. Another one for British Rock Royalty over at the LV Ballpark. First ever live concert at the Las Vegas Ballpark. British Rock Royalty. Symphonic, state-of-the-art lighting, video, lasers. This sounds really cool. Performing songs from The Who, Bowie, Queen, Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. Get your own tickets. Under 20 bucks. That's where they start. Go to the website, thelvballpark.com. 364-1100 is the number. 364-1100. And the show is this Saturday. This Saturday. This Saturday. 364 1100 caller 11 Ari will take care of you there get in the bag stick your hand in there Dave and Ari will be back to give us some answers after he gives out a winner this one's hitting big on the uh, internets on Twitter Uh, some dude Matthew posted these were the shows at MSG Madison Square Garden in 1987 concerts if you could see two of them which one which two would you choose this is really tough I'll I'll give you a, a smattering of the selections beginning well early in the year march rat and poison oh i'm a hair metal guy so that, I, that might be one of the two <laughs> iron maiden uh move down the list brian adams uh duran duran and erasure oh my god mm. that's a good one i've seen both mm. i've seen both of those in the last like three years very good uh paul simon madonna bon jovi billy idol the cure well beastie boys that would be freaking beastie boys yeah. and run dmc Motley Crue and Whitesnake, Bowie, Grateful Dead, U2 and the Pogues. Oh, I missed Eddie Murphy. Wow, Eddie Eddie Murphy, <laughs> like in his prime still. This is 87, the uh, concert show lineup at Madison Square Garden. Uh, December included Rush, Yes, and Depeche Mode. And I don't know why everyone on the show is like, Depeche Mode, right? You'd go see Depeche Mode, right? <laughs> I mean, this is my era here. Um, Would you? 
That Depeche Mode wouldn't be why I, I I will go see Depeche Mode at some point. Just not top two. It wouldn't be my top two from okay from li- this list. Can you pick two? Well, I've been fortunate living here to have seen a handful of these folks. Who, who, already. Have, you seen, who have you seen? So I've seen Rush. I've seen Bon Jovi. I have seen Motley Crue. Uh, who else on here? There were a few others as I was going through the list. Uh, bon Jovi. I, I didn't say them. Uh, Tom Petty would be at the top of my list, and I, that's one regret that I have. I'm not even a huge concert guy necessarily, but Tom Petty would be fantastic and obviously no longer with us. And then you said it, Beastie Boys and Run DMC. I haven't had a chance to see them. Clearly, they're no longer all with us, so those are the two that I would go with. All right, your two choices. I know you just, you just handed out a winner, but who, who'd you have that you liked on this list? There's a, there's a lot. I'm not picky with music like I am with food. Uh, quick glance, obviously, Beastie Boys run DMC. I got to go with that. Okay, so this one more. tough, though. Uh, you know what? I will try. <laughs> I will try out Tom Petty. Why not? But wow, you, you, were you listening? You were, you, were, you, were not on, you didn't have your cans on. That's exactly who Marcus picked. Yeah, I didn't. I was getting the winner. But okay, cool. There you go. Let, let's go together. Thanks to Marcus, Marcus Pfaff. Hopefully we can have Marcus on more often. He's here in town, uh, still contributes to the score in Wisconsin. Great job. Great job by Angel. Get down here, 77-cent Bud Light bottles, Mm. Silver 7s, Flamingo in Paradise. Second period's coming up. How much time? I don't know. Might not be able to give my choices. No, actually, people are going to laugh at my choices. Uh, One would be 